60 days left till Christmas. Are you ready? Who started their Christmas shopping? There you go. <laughs> Who's finished? Well, thank goodness for that. Um, and yes, I've been to Summerhill looking for a umbrella for the, for the table and could only find Slade playing and cinnamon-flavoured uh, things to hang on the tree. So yeah, okay, it's probably a bit early, um, but the idea is we're going to start talking about Advent in October, um, so that for once we're ready. I've got a, a PowerPoint, hopefully, which will, will come up, start getting us into the mood. Um, we do love Christmas, don't we? And we all want uh, the perfect Christmas. And I'm hoping that by starting this year, earlier than ever at Billericay Baptist Church, um, this year we will be ready and we will see Christmas as a particularly good opportunity. We're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah today, who, as we know, said, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. Perhaps Christmas feels like a bit of a wasteland for you for one reason or another. Maybe it feels like a bit of a desert that could do with some streams running through it. Maybe this will be a year of refreshment. As has been said, we're going to be uh, engaging in a pre-Advent series with these three sections. And I'm going to look at Christmas foretold in the Old Testament. I'm going to look at Christmas particularly through the eyes of Isaiah. Isaiah was excited about Christmas 800 years before it happened. <laughs> 60 days would have been nothing to him. He'd have been on the edge of his seat We're going to look at it through his eyes. We're going to hear his words and hopefully his words will help build our faith. I'm going to be starting by looking at who Isaiah is. Then we'll look at what he said and then we'll think about how it applies to our Christmas, our Advent. So who was Isaiah? Well, sorry, the font's a little small. His his name means God's salvation. I'm pretty sure that doesn't mean he is God's salvation, but he is going to point the people towards God's salvation. And I think uh, Toby's fantastic flower arrangement is an ideal uh, metaphor for this, a, a lantern which shines forward through the generations, through hundreds of years, to show us who Jesus is going to be. Isaiah, his whole life was bound up in Jerusalem, the faithful city which he chided. Um, I've been doing a bit of looking at National Geographic and reading at some of the fantastic discoveries that have been made in Jerusalem recently. Um, This uh, little fragment here, some people believe, has got Isaiah's signature on it. They found this seal 10 feet away from Hezekiah's seal. 
they're absolutely certain they found Hezekiah's seal uh, around 2015 in a rubbish dump in that bit of Jerusalem there that's just marked in, in red, just outside the palace walls. They found Hezekiah's seal, and then four years later they found this one, and it's got most of Isaiah's name on it, and then what looks like the word prophet next to it. No one really knows for sure, but we do know that Isaiah was a real person. We do know that he was based in Jerusalem. We do know that he was there at the time of King Hezekiah. We do know that it was around 765 years before Christ, and he is regarded as the greatest of the prophets. This um, icon um, of Isaiah He's holding a scroll, and I don't want to be too harsh on the person that painted this icon, but that scroll is far too small. Uh, The scroll would actually need to be uh, 24 feet long if we were to put Isaiah holding uh, the scroll here. 66 chapters worth, an enormous scroll. Uh, This is the the Dead Seas scroll that was found some... um, some years ago, uh, I think it was in the 1940s that this was discovered, but it's a 2,000-year-old uh, scroll with Isaiah's words on it. Isaiah had a vision when he was 25 years old. He wrote, In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And here someone's tried to draw everything that Isaiah writes about in his vision. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train filled the temple. I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me. That's Isaiah 6, verse 8. And from that day on, Isaiah devoted himself to the vocation of prophecy. And here he is uh, with three other great Hebrew prophets. We've got Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel and Daniel. The Hebrew prophets preached the word of God. They fearlessly attacked the evils of men, not even sparing kings from their harsh attacks. I wonder what the prophets would say to our leaders today. Here's here's a quote that might work. Isaiah 38, verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah became ill and was at the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, this is what the Lord says, put your house in order because you're going to die. You will not recover. Wasn't afraid of pulling a few punches, Isaiah. Put your house in order, you're going to die. You will not recover. Isaiah was able to predict future events, albeit some of which he didn't fully know what he was saying at the time. One of his most famous Christmas prophecies is here from Isaiah 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. 
So as I was doing my research this week, I was rather devastated to find out that the word virgin isn't actually necessarily virgin. It's actually, uh, the word is more accurately maiden. The maiden will be with child. And I was also quite devastated to find out that actually Isaiah was, many scholars think, probably talking about his girlfriend at the time, his second wife, and was saying, she's going to have a baby. That sort of hurt me when I first read that. I don't know how correct these things are, but that was my research, and it seemed like quite a few scholars seemed to think that was right. But actually, the more I thought about it, the more I thought, That actually supports how amazing God is. I'm not here to talk about how brilliant Isaiah was. I'm here to talk about how amazing God is. And Isaiah maybe was an accidental prophet. And again, I was quite encouraged by that, because I've told you many times before, I'm an accidental head teacher. I never wanted to be a head teacher. I never wanted to start my own school which latest update, by the way, is now the second most popular school in the whole of Essex. And of course, you you were all there 10 years ago when everyone was saying no one wants a church school, there's no demand. I'm an accidental head teacher. I, I bring nothing to the role. Don't tell anyone. But I'm just a conduit. I just stand there and let God work through me and he does amazing things through us in the school. It encouraged me that as an accidental head teacher, maybe Isaiah, an accidental prophet, less of us, more of God. And maybe that's a real message for today, that God can work through us. Maybe we need to, maybe this is for some of you, maybe you need to stop waiting to become good enough at something before making a start. Maybe you need to stop waiting. Stop thinking you're going to do it in your own strength once you've completed that course or done this latest thing and allow God to use you now. Maybe Isaiah didn't know what he was saying when he wrote this, but we certainly know. And then look at this in Isaiah 9 verse 6, accidental or not, look at this description of Jesus here. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So in the first part of my talk I wanted to talk about a little bit of who Isaiah was, which I've done. I'm now going to look at some of the things that Isaiah says And I particularly want to look at this verse. Here we've got four amazing promises given 800 years before Christ. A wonderful counsellor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. Wonderful counsellor. If you look at Isaiah chapter 11 or... More fully, Isaiah chapter 24, 
through to 27, what you see is the most amazing collection of prophecies of the royal programme that will cause the whole world to marvel. Isaiah sets out the case of what this wonderful counsellor is going to bring. Marvellous things, things planned long ago, always in God's plan. Chapter 11, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding. Amazing descriptions of Jesus. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. How many times did Jesus meet people and he could judge them? He knew what they'd done in the past. He knew exactly what needed to be said to them. With righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. A royal programme we could certainly do with today. Isaiah said, Jesus will be mighty God. If you want to see more of that, again, look at chapter 25, where you'll see his divine power as a warrior is stressed. You've made the city a heap of rubble. The fortified town is a ruin. Therefore, strong peoples will honour you. Cities of ruthless nations will revere you. Jesus is going to be a mighty God. He's going to be the most wonderful, everlasting father. He's going to be an enduring and compassionate provider and protector. To see more about that, look at chapter 40, verses 9 to 11. You bring good tidings. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers lambs in his arms. He carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. And the Prince of Peace. Again, back in chapter 25, Isaiah says his rule will bring wholeness and well-being to individuals and to society. You've been a refuge for the poor, a refuge to poor in distress, a shelter from the storm, a shade from the heat. You will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples. There's some seriously good news to share here that Isaiah was prophesying hundreds of years before Jesus came. We're still celebrating it 2,000 years after it happened. 2,700 years after Isaiah was telling telling people about it. So, which of these characteristics do you need to be reminded of this Christmas? Wonderful counsellor? Are you in need of some counselling? Are you in need of that reassurance, that royal programme? A mighty God? Are you in need of a mighty shift? An everlasting father? Do you need a father who's going to wrap his arms round you and love you and care for you and lead you gently? Or a prince of peace who's going to bring refuge what about our friends and our family what about our town what about the people that you work with what do they need to hear from Jesus this Christmas 
We've got 60 days to get ready for Christmas. 60 days to think, what do I need to remember this Christmas? And 60 days with which to think, how am I going to share this with the people around me? We've thought about Isaiah. We've thought about what he said. Now I want to finish by thinking about what we're going to do with that news. I've been reading a a book recently by this chap here. Does anyone know who this is? Very quick, Pat Nevin. I knew Roger would know. Pat Nevin, correct, a a footballer and currently a journalist and a a writer. And um, what he writes in the beginning of his book, I thought, seemed very apt for today. He says, last year I was in an office in London discussing the next run of articles I was about to write for an online publication. There was a very new, very young marketing chap in control of the output and he wanted to know what this old man was thinking about producing this year. I gave what would be the stock, if worthy sounding, answer for me. Well, as ever, I will try to write things that are hopefully interesting I will use any insight I have from my own experiences in the game and with a bit of luck, add a little humour alongside any informative points I can muster. I will try to look at each subject from a different angle than you might read elsewhere. And hopefully I'll be considering topics that aren't being done to death by everyone else. At the very least, I like to try and give a different viewpoint on issues with the aim of making a reader think in a different way. How does that sound? I'd fallen into his trap. After waiting a moment, he looked at me and kindly, almost sympathetically, explained where I was going wrong. What I would like you to do is precisely the opposite of that. I was surprised and a little confused. What? I'm not sure I understand. With a patient sigh, he carried on as if talking to an infant. I want you to go online, be it Twitter or any social media platform, see what the most topical thing trending at the moment is, and then write about that. Being a reasonable chap, and also being no more than a a lowly employee these days, I said, "Mm, that sounds a bit restrictive, but I suppose I could look at those topics and give my perspective. Oh, no. I don't want your perspective... What I want you to do is to gauge what the prevailing mood is from the majority of the people online and then mirror that argument in your article. This concept had never even occurred to me. You want me to write, but you're not interested in what I think or what I believe to be true. Having personally written thousands of columns over three decades, many for national newspapers and magazines, as well as a bunch of websites. This was indeed the opposite of my previous thinking, and I still didn't fully understand why. He saw my confusion and enlightened me. People just like to have their own ideas reflected back at them, particularly online. They don't want to think too much, and they certainly do not want to be challenged. Tell them what they want to hear. Say it 
in as short and as simple way as possible. And if you do that, you'll get more clicks. And the more views we get on the site, the more advertising we sell. That's how it works. Do you understand? I thought, that is really, really interesting, isn't it? It's a really good summary of modern life online. What people want is just to have what they already believe repeated back to them in small bite-sized chunks. And as I was reading what Pat Nevin was saying, I was thinking we mustn't fall into that trap this Christmas. It's so easy to just get caught up in what everyone else is saying online about Christmas and having the same conversations that everyone else is having about Christmas because that's what they expect from us. Just reinforce their narrow, materialistic, plastic ideas of Christmas and kind of go along with it as well. And I thought I should finish today by challenging us to be more Isaiah, to be prepared to speak up against the prevailing mood, to be prepared to say, actually, I know something about this. I know what this is about. Pat Nevin knows what he's talking about when it comes to football. And he's finished his introduction by saying, is there a message? Well, try and stick to what you believe to be right, if you possibly can. There's nothing wrong with failure on your own terms if you've given it your best shot. But there's a great deal to regret if you fail doing something you don't believe in. So...
You may have heard of Advent uh, conspiracy before. It's, it's been around for more than a decade, encouraging us to think differently about Christmas. It um, suggests that we should uh, focus on four things. To worship fully, to be a living sacrifice. As it says in Romans 12 verse 1, I urge you in account of God's mercy to be a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. To spend less, cut back, reduce spending and give more um, to think about handmade items, things that have real value and a real message to them, um, cakes, handmade cards and so on, to love all, to give uh, money, give to projects that spread the message of Jesus further afield. It, Advent Conspiracy, when it first started, focused on water. It said there that it reckons they'll spend, we'll spend $1 trillion on Christmas worldwide. Um, I remember when I showed a video from Advent Conspiracy a while ago. They said it would cost. They thought it would cost 20 billion to eradicate um, water being a problem around the world. It cost 20 billion to make sure everyone could drink clean water. So you think just a fraction of what we spend on Christmas in one year could fix uh, such an important issue. Cutting back and putting our money into these things, twinning our toilets, giving money to tear fund, lending with care, buying a goat, giving money to food bank, all those things that we know about that we can do through Christian charities that we love. They're just simple things that you could do for Christmas this year. Make sure that the Christmas cards you send have the Christmas message in it. Be prepared to write about that message when you're sending messages to Loved ones, own the Christmas message. Be prepared to speak up about why Christmas is important to you. Don't just get sucked into talking about the cooking and the cleaning and the wrapping of presents and what type of sellotape works best. And those simple, plasticky conversations that we can have that just reflect back to people what they want to hear. Let's be prepared to stand up and be distinctive, to be that lantern which can shine forwards. Uh, recently there was the global rooftop encounter where uh, Dennis Pellers, a member of our congregation, um, was hosting a global rooftop encounter. The idea is we encourage Christians to go to a high place and look over their town or at least walk into the town and try and look at it with God's eyes. Think about where Jesus is, where he would be if he was here. What is his mission field? As I started with this morning, Isaiah was prepared to say, here am I, send me. He had a vision. And in response to that vision, he said, here am I, send me. Here we are now, 2,000 years later, 2,000 Christmases later, of remembering the story and going over and over it again. What a vision we have of Jesus. Are we prepared to say, here I am, send me. Here's our town from above. Not quite a rooftop, but from 
Google Earth. What is it in the town that excites you? Is it the food bank? Is it the schools? Is it the doctor's surgeries? Where would Jesus be? As you come out of Waitrose and the ladies there selling the big issue, what would Jesus want you to do with her? Would you go and talk to her? Do you know her name? I've asked her name several times and I keep forgetting it. So yesterday I wrote it down. It's Consuela. Go and talk to her. How many children she got? She's got two children. One's 11. One's either five or seven. I've forgotten already. One's called Sarah. She wants an iPhone. Buy a big issue. But then buy her something else. Get into Waitrose. What do you want, Consuela? Can I get you something from the shop? Why are you doing this for me? Well, because I've had a vision of Jesus and I want to reach out and help you. I know in this room there are loads of you doing wonderful, wonderful things like that every day. Stand up a bit taller. Tell other people about it. Own it. Say, this is what I'm doing this Christmas. I'm making these cakes for this thing. I'm sending these cards out. I'm inviting these people into our Christmas supper at church. Really own and possess those wonderful things that we're doing and let them shine as a light to other people. Let your actions encourage people across this beautiful town that we live in. Pick up the litter. Give some gifts. And put Jesus right in the centre of whatever it is you choose to do in our town. Whatever it is that excites you. We encourage this morning to see Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah. He saw it 800 years before it happened. He spoke words which are still relevant today. See, I am doing a new thing. And here we are, 2,800 years later. Have we found his signature on a seal in Jerusalem? I don't know. But we do have his words. We've thought about who he was, what he said. And we can apply that to today. I wonder where your seal is. Where would people find your seal in 2,000 years' time? Where have you put your stamp? What difference have you made? What's your line on the social media? Isaiah may have been an accidental prophet used by God to pave the way for Jesus. Maybe we could be an accidental prophet. Maybe we don't even realise the difference that we're making is now perhaps actually a time for you just to remember who Jesus is for you personally, that Prince of Peace, that Everlasting Father. Or maybe it's time for you to take that message out to others. So, we're adventing our way towards Advent. Let's pray that the message and example of Isaiah will inspire us. Let's just pause for a moment and think of one thing that we can do differently over the next 60 days.
dear God, as we explore the amazing number of prophecies found in the Old Testament describing Jesus' birth and foretelling who Jesus was going to be and where he was going to be, what he was going to do and how he was going to do it and why. We pray that these prophecies will be faith builders in our lives. We know that this tiny child that we see on Christmas cards and we celebrate at this time of year is actually the most important person of all time. Help us not to keep this to ourselves. Accidentally or not, may we use this year to point people towards your son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.